Hello, and welcome to the Strategica podcast from the Hoover Institution, analyzing the intersection of military history and contemporary national security concerns. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, and I am joined today by Tom Donnelly, co-director of the Maryland Ware Center for Security Studies at the American Enterprise Institute, member of Hoover's Military History Working Group, and the author of one of the pieces in the newest issue of Strategica, which focuses on Israel and a nuclear Iran. Tom, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. All right, so let's start with how the world has changed in, in the wake of the Iranian nuclear deal. You begin your piece at Strategica by noting that by the time the next president is getting his or her sea legs, I'm quoting you here, Israel's opportunity to act unilaterally or say in concert with Saudi Arabia to preempt further development of Iran's nuclear program will have passed. Explain why that's the case. Um, well, that's, uh, I think, true militarily or uh, darn close to being true militarily. And I think it's very much true strategically. Um, you know, uh, it's not impossible for the Israelis to take an action that would certainly do damage to Iran's nuclear capabilities. Uh, but but certainly the window of opportunity where there was broader international support for such a strike really does seem to have, have passed. And uh, if we contemplate the uh, sort of uh, final uh, anti-Israel uh, uh, policies of the Clinton, or pardon me, of the <laughs> Obama administration, um, it, it seems pretty well shut. Uh, there's no chance of getting any support from the United States, certainly at this point. Um, Tom, there, there was a school of thought out there that said at the time that it was announced that the, the real value of the Iran deal wasn't the specific provisions of the deal itself. In fact, some of the especially candid people would concede that it was lacking some on those fronts, but that the value of the deal was the fact that it existed in the first place, that by that act alone, we were beginning the sort of long and hard work of, of normalizing Iran, of dissipating the radicalism, bringing them into the community of responsible nations. I mean, pick your phrase. Now, stipulating here that our sample size is relatively small, there's still only about a year's worth of behavior after this has been signed. Uh, how is that theory matched up with the reality? I, I think it's almost uh, 180 degrees inverted. Uh, in my judgment, it's as though Iran uh, is normalizing the rest of us. Um, uh, there's no fundamental change in the nature of the regime. Uh, its its power, its wealth, its ambition is only growing. Um, but I think uh, we've sort of taken the uh, idea that Iran is a normal nation or that we should adapt ourselves to Iran's desires and sort of normalize the international system and certainly the exercise of American power uh, across the Middle East to accommodate uh, Iran rather than the other way around. If we were to get the Iranian leadership behind closed doors in a moment of total candor, how do you think they describe this deal? What are the costs and benefits from the perspective of Tehran? I, I think they must be a giddy – <laughs> uh, you know, uh, in the extreme. Uh, this is, uh, again, if we sort of go back to uh, the moment, uh, you know, uh, a decade or so ago 
when the sanctions were imposed and uh, Iran's fortunes were really at a low ebb and America's exercise of power sort of before Iraq started to go, um, you know, into its uh, uh, spiral, death spiral, if you will, uh, after the invasion. Um, uh, again, if we compare where Iran stood then to now, it's almost uh, entirely uh, uh, turned upside down. Uh, they had American uh, forces on their border to both the east and to the west in large numbers. Um, and even if you compare now to the beginning of the Obama administration, sort of after the surge, um, it gave a second life to, uh, uh, again, for want of a better term, American primacy in the Middle East. Um, uh, the situation is almost entirely reversed or certainly heading in a, a reverse direction. Um, we have withdrawn. Uh, Iraq has become a, a proxy state for Iranian interests. Um, Iran has been able to prop up the uh, Assad regime uh, in Syria, uh, is meddling in Yemen, um, has, has increased its presence, particularly in uh, Western Afghanistan, to uh, a pretty high uh, level. And again, sort of been accepted as a normal nation by the international community. Western businessmen are uh, trampling one another to do business in Tehran these days. So if those are the changes that are engendered, um, I guess to put it in terms of on the, on the offensive side, on the Iranian offensive side, I mentioned earlier in that quote, uh, you raise at the beginning of the piece the idea of Israel and Saudi Arabia working together against Iran, which in the, in the current security environment is not an exotic suggestion. But just a few years ago, that would have seemed outlandish. Well, unthinkable. <laughs> yeah, I so, know. So uh, well, how, so that, that's what, a measure of how far we've come. Yeah, so this is my question. Where else are we likely to see – how are we likely to see the geopolitical dynamics changing in the Middle East as a result of Iran being on the offensive? Well, I, 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 I think we have not heard the last of um, you know, strange bedfellows, uh, particularly um, across the Sunni world, uh, the traditional Arab regimes of the Gulf. Um, I mean, and goodness knows where, uh, you know, I mean, Turkey's position on everything seems to depend on what side of the, uh, of the bed, uh, uh, Erdogan gets out of. It's hard, you know, it's hard to imagine a long-term Russian, Iranian, Russian, Persian alliance. So that there's something that's, uh, historically unstable about that partnership. Um, and there's also, uh, it's very difficult to imagine that uh, Iran has the overall power um, to become a dominant or stabilizing force across the Middle East. Uh, they're, they're swimming against uh, a Sunni tide. Um, and uh, a lot of what uh, uh, Sunni fundamentalism or jihadism is about is a response to the exercise of Iranian power, particularly in, in Syria. So um, it's as though they just have enough power 
to make a bid for preeminence, uh, but to get themselves in trouble uh, without really securing or stabilizing a, a durable order across the region. In this piece for Strategica, you talk about cyber as the one avenue potentially left open for an Israeli attack on Iran. Now, there is some precedent for this, of course, with the um, the Stuxnet attack. Now, I, I don't know because it's been a while how many of our listeners remember that episode. So can you give us some sort of insight into how that worked and explain why you think this could still be a live option for Israel? Uh, well, I mean it was a, a, a sort of joint – American-Israeli partnership to introduce, um, you know, I'm not a cyber expert in the scientific sense, but to introduce basically bugs into uh, the controls of, um, I believe, the centrifuges in Iran. Um, but I emphasize that it was a partnership between the United States and the Israelis. Uh, and if one reads the literature on this, uh, one of the takeaways, it is that the Israelis were uh, had a different time horizon uh, than we did. Again, and it's been some years, and as the um, uh, strategic uh, picture changes, uh, so might an American time horizon. And certainly, uh, so the Israelis were looking for a quicker return um, in this project, if I can use that kind of language. So... Um, it, it's certainly something that the Israelis are very good at um, and uh, no doubt uh, continue to work with the United States to, um, you know, in these areas. Uh, and it's also, that was a case where because it was a, a kind of a joint effort, uh, it made it uh, a difficult, uh, put the Iranians in a difficult situation. Uh, in that, uh, um, you know, a retaliatory action would have been complicated, and, and I don't think the Iranians would be particularly anxious to conduct a large-scale attack of any sort uh, that would, you know, rouse an America that's conveniently gone to sleep uh, from the Iranian point of view. So I think that remains an option. It's very, very difficult to judge uh, what Israeli unilateral capabilities or options might be, uh, but I have no doubt whatsoever that the Israelis are, you know, hard at work trying to uh, create such options. And uh, again, it's something that they're very competent at, uh, and uh, I would not be surprised if the Israelis had not uh, discovered some vulnerabilities that they could exploit. If you think about this from a purely sort of dispassionate, value-free, kind of strategic perspective, no, no regard to the character of the regime, um, by your diagnosis, it sounds as if Iran has been dealt a pretty strong hand by this deal. How well have they played it? I mean they seem to be playing it extraordinarily well. They violate the terms of the agreement. I mean there have been reporting in the last couple of days about – uh, secret side deals that allow them to uh, keep more enriched uh, uranium. Uh, they're developing missiles. They have a uh, you know sort of at least temporary strategic partnership with the Russians. Um, uh, they seem to be very much uh, in the ascendant. Um, and so, not only have they been given gifts by the Obama administration. Um, you know, they've exploited the situation 
almost to maximum effect. It would be sort of hard to imagine what else uh, they might be doing that they're not already doing. They seem to be taking advantage of the moment. And I have no doubt, just to go back to our beginning point, that they will, con- you know, one of the first challenges for a new president will be just not only in the Iranian front, but on many fronts, uh, to see whether uh, they can continue to get away with things. I mean, which, uh, which brings us beautifully, yeah. actually, to, the, to yeah. the, final, the final question I was going to ask you, because as you make clear throughout this piece, the next president's hands are somewhat tied here. I mean the, the deal's already been signed. Maybe you could walk away if you wanted to, but you can't erase all of the things that have happened in the interim. How could the next president make the best out of a bad situation? What's the sort of second best world here? Well, I, I think the, really the only option uh, is, and then one of the, again, one of the successes both of the administration and from an Iranian point of view has been to dissociate the nuclear deal from the broader strategic picture. Uh, so I, I think if an American, future American president wanted to reverse course, probably the best thing to do would be to, um, you know, work at the strategic margin, so to speak, not try to renegotiate the nuclear deal per se, but to try to deny Iran the strategic benefits that is reaped from the deal, uh, which means reengaging with, um, uh, you know, the Arab states and Israel in a, a more serious uh, fashion, reengaging in Iraq, um, trying to make the best of a very bad situation in Syria, and looking for other ways to sort of asymmetrically, I hate to use that buzzword, but to <laughs> look, rather than to pick all these issues apart, rather to put them back together to put under put Iran under greater strategic pressure uh, in, in many ways, not just in terms of the nuclear deal. All right. My guest has been Tom Donnelly. To read his work and that of other members of Hoover's Military History Working Group, be sure to visit Strategica online at hoover.org slash strategica. That's S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-K-A. Tom, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Strategica, and I'm Victor Davis Hanson.